Yeah, hey, Good morning, my relatives. This is Mark Charles. It is still morning here in Piscataway lands. I'm back in Washington, D.C. After traveling for about a week, I was in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, as well as in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I just got back the other day and grateful to be able to sit down and drink another cup of coffee. Um, I am honored to be back on Piscataway lands, and I want to honor the Piscataway as the host of the lands where I'm living. I want to thank them for their stewardship of these lands. Um, there's a lot of things I would love to talk about. Um, every day, I kind of, as I go through the news, I usually try to highlight and bookmark or set aside a few articles that catch my attention and I may want to comment on during my second cup of coffee. And two of the articles that came up over the past few days um, was just the craziness going on in the Senate with um, the, uh, the the censure of a Democratic Congress member, as well as the uh, proposed vote for an impeachment um, of, of President Biden and kind of the screaming match that took place between Democrats and Republicans uh, during those proceedings. And right, that's just kind of crazy. And then also there's, of course, this proposed cage match between Elon Musk and uh, um, Zuckerberg. And again, it just I was thinking of doing something along just the, the absurdity of white landowning men screaming at each other uh, for spectacle and no other reason. But there's obviously a lot more important things we need to talk about. And so I wanted to take some time to discuss some other things that are actually of much greater importance than the political antics and childish of white landowning men um, as they scream at each other. So anyway, I want to talk this morning about this latest Supreme Court case um, that was decided literally just a few days ago. Um, it was uh, Arizona versus the Navajo Nation. And it was looking at um, the both treaty and water rights of the Navajo Nation as they were trying to get the government to reassess its water needs and to implement some plans or designs to begin to make sure water continues to be delivered um, to the Navajo Nation, as is implied and even secured in the Treaty of 1868. And so that, that was the case that went through the, the courts. Um, it started off in an Arizona court, and it was rejected, and it was appealed to a federal court of appeals, and um, it was ruled in favor of the Navajo Nation, and then the Supreme Court took it up, and they uh, uh, reversed the decision of the lower court. And so I want to talk about this, but before we talk about that case, um, Arizona versus the Navajo Nation, I want to talk about another story that was in the news just the other day as well, because this really helps us understand what's going on in this case. And the case I want to talk to you about, and Yate, hey, Mary, hey, thanks for joining. Glad you could be on this morning. It's good to uh, see you here. And I want to thank everyone else who's on this live stream with me this morning. Um, but let me share this, this other article with you. It was in the AP, and it was about uh, some of the Native nations in, uh, in Washington state. And the article is titled, Nuclear Site is on Tribes' Ancestral Lands, and Their Voices Are Being Left Out of Key Cleanup Talks. So during the 1940s and beyond, there was uh, the processing of petroleum, or of, of um, nuclear uh, uh, material 
in Washington state and that site has since been closed down and there's been cleanup on the way and the the native nations within that area have been trying to insert their voices into those discussions because these are lands they have stewarded for centuries even longer hundreds even thousands of years and they wanted to make sure that this cleanup was done well and that the land was left better than when it was found and over the course of this process they've been able to insert several um key changes or influences on what's been what's been happening but largely their voices have been left out our <coughs> excuse me are silenced during this process and there was one point in this article where it said the state ecology department said it plans to consult with the tribes once the draft agreement is more finalized <laughs> right and again, this is this is the problem, right? Where we have treaties and precedent of informed consent, and this is what happened at Standing Rock, right? How much about is the government obligated to inform Native nations, and how much is it obligated to receive Native nations consent in what's happening on lands that we once stewarded or that are even part of our reservations today? In uh, other words, really clearly trying to define more distinctly the trust relationship um, that exists between the United States government and the Native nations. And this is often what that trust relationship looks like. We are wards of, of the government. We are wards of the court. And so we are not given an opportunity to give consent. We are given often to basically say, these are, <laughs> these are the options we're going with. Um, you've been informed. And this is deeply, deeply problematic. And this is what is rooted in the worldview of the doctrine of discovery, right? Where Native nations are savages. We don't know how to steward our own lands. We don't know how that we haven't evolved to the same level that white Europeans have. And therefore, our land can be discovered. And we are merely occupants of these lands who don't really have a deep say. And so even in this, this one case where they said, okay, we will let you into the conversation, only after we make these agreements, you know, it's almost like when when you're a parent and you want to give your children a sense of belonging in conversations, but obviously uh, you need to make uh, uh, some key decisions yourself. And so you bring them in at the end. And as they get older, they begin to realize they don't actually have as much influence as they thought they did. Um, and this is what goes on with Native nations all the time, right, which is we are not actually brought into these discussions until all of the important and the things that are critical to the U.S. government are ironed out. And then we can be brought in like a child to say, okay, here's what we're thinking. Um, you know, what do you think? And But there's not really much more room for maneuvering or for really framing or forming the entire conversation. And so you have to understand, this is how the U.S. government approaches its relationship with Native nations which is we are the children to Uncle Sam, right? We are the child who does not get legitimate input into the dialogue, even over lands that we both once stewarded as well as currently steward through our reservations. And we are merely brought in as kind of window dressing at the very end. So yeah, we asked them and they, were, they, they didn't disagree with us um, when really there's no room to disagree. So that's the relationship, right? This is the, the trust relationship, the, the, the domestic dependent relationship, the, 
ward of the court relationship that's been established through history with Native nations and with uh, with the U.S. government. And so it's out of that that we need to look at this opinion by the U.S. Supreme Court looking at what the Navajo Nation is asking for, excuse me, in their... Um, in this court case. So the Navajo Nation, our, all right, we have the largest reservation. It's like 26,000 square miles. We have the largest number of enrolled uh, tribal members at near 300,000. Uh, we surpassed the Cherokee during COVID where to get um, to, to, we actually pushed to get a lot of more people registered during COVID and our numbers swelled uh, pretty significantly. Um, which now we were close to more to 280 and now I think we're over 300,000. Anyway, so we're the largest native nation, both in terms of land and in terms of numbers. And we, we reside both historically and currently in the Southwest and are part of the Colorado river uh, basin for water. And so of course the way that the water is divided up is of utmost importance to us. We live in the high desert where groundwater is not very plentiful and rainwater is not very plentiful. And so having access to a, a large source of water like the Colorado River in this modern day is of grave importance to our people. And our Navajo Nation has been working hard over the past years, decades even, to try to make sure that we are able to procure the rights to water that we need as both drought continues to increase and as um, our, our numbers grow and we need um, access to more water on the land we're living, just like the state of Arizona and California and Colorado are doing as their populations grow and as global warming happens, right? There's conversations about how do we divvy up and 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 um, make sure that there is a fair allocation of water resources in this very dry and arid climate. And basically the Navajo Nation is trying to be a part of that dialogue. And so this, this case was about getting the courts to agree that the, the US the, the, the US government needs to step in and assess what is happening based on what was both written and implied in our treaties. And that was, that was what this case was about. It was trying to bring this to the, to the forefront. And um, as I said earlier, I haven't read the entire opinion yet. I am going to try and read it over the weekend so I can go much more into depth into what the opinion actually says. Um, but uh, I did read several articles about it, and I have read different parts of the opinion. And there's a few things I want to point out just as we get started here to begin to discuss this uh, ruling. So the Supreme Court, almost based upon party lines, and yes, I'm going to say party lines because more and more frequently these judges are appointed by political um, rule or political uh, figures. Um, and they, the way they get onto the court is highly, highly politicized. So obviously we have a very partisan court. Um, we have a very divided Democrat and Republican court, and we have a very politicized court, and let's not pretend they are anything else. So we have a very partisan court, and the, the conservative, the Republican judges, by and large ruled um, against the Navajo Nation and, and, the, and the Democratic or the liberal judges, by and large ruled for the Navajo Nation. The one 
dissenting voice from the Republican side was Neil Gorsuch, who, again, is from Colorado, has worked in Indian law. He is probably one of the sharpest minds on the court, at least in familiarity with Native American or Indian law in the U.S. And he actually wrote the dissenting opinion for the, the minority in this case. But uh, it was it was actually Justice Kavanaugh who uh, wrote the uh, the opinion of the court in this case, and I want to start with Justice Kavanaugh's opinion. Um, and this is just right. I haven't read the entire thing yet, but there's just a few things, even as I started reading it, that really struck out to me. So let me go ahead and share this with you. This is right here on the uh, on the site, and let me put the the. Um, extension for this in here. Let me write it in here. And let me put this into the chat. But um, here is the link to the opinion of the court in PDF from their court opinion. Um, and I just put that in right there, and you can go ahead and link to that, and you should be able to bring it up. But um, yeah, so let me let me start just by reading the the top of the, the beginning of this opinion by Justice Kavanaugh. He says, in 1848, the United States won the Mexican-American War and acquired vast new territory from Mexico in what would become the American West. The Navajos lived within a discreet portion of that expansive and newly American territory for the next two decades. However, the United States and Navajos periodically waged war against one another. In 1868, the United States and Navajos agreed to a peace treaty. In exchange for the Navajos' promise not to engage in further war, the United States established a large reservation for the Navajos in their original homeland in the western United States. You already know what I'm going to say, right? You already know what I'm going to say. Justice Kavanaugh here glossed over not only incredibly important pieces of history, but he failed to mention the ethnic cleansing and genocide of the United States of America of Native nations led by Abraham Lincoln as it was seeking to complete its self-proclaimed manifest destiny through the building of a transcontinental railway. Right? This is what led to this conflict in the Southwest was the United States of America's attempting to claim its promised land and literally going across the country, committing acts of genocide and ethnic cleansing in Minnesota, in Colorado, in Utah, and Idaho, and against the Navajo and Mescalero Apache in the Southwest. This is what the United States of America was doing. We were defending our lands. We were already trying to defend them against, Mex against the Spanish coming up through Mexico. And now we were fighting the Americans doing the same thing, trying to defend the land that we were living on, which they were intent on not only taking, but ethnically cleansing and wiping us out of it. 
our people were moved to a death camp established by Abraham Lincoln in 1864, and we were sitting there where a quarter of our people died before this treaty was signed. So, of course, Justice Kavanaugh glosses over all of this. I, I really, really wish Supreme Court justices from both political sides of the aisle were required to demonstrate some sense of actual understanding of U.S. history, not the crap of American exceptionalism that gets fed to it through the U.S public and private school system. The private school system is even worse than the public school system in this regard. But they don't know crap. So he starts his opinion out completely misinformed about who is in the right and who is in a wrong in this entire conflict. Doesn't acknowledge for a second the dehumanizing centuries of injustice that was founded in the doctrine of discovery and was being systematically enacted against Native peoples throughout the history of this nation. So right away, you read this opinion, you know exactly what's going to happen because Justice Kavanaugh, well, I would agree, I would say almost all the justices have no clue the extent to which the government they are representing and they are defending in their courts through the Constitution are not the models of equality and justice in these stories are in this history. But anyway, I, I wanted to point that out. I will... I'm going to take some time over the weekend to read the rest of this opinion, and hopefully we'll have some more in-depth thoughts about it as I go into it. Um, I want to share a few stories that were written about this case um, on online. And the first one is from Native News Online, and it gives uh, a breakdown of the case as well as of the opinion. And I also want to share with you an article from AP, that does pretty much the same thing. And let me share that uh, here with you too. So I'm gonna share both of these stories with you. And then I wanna highlight one of the things that Neil Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch writes in his dissenting opinion regarding this, this uh, case. And both of them are quoted, are this, this quote is, is used in both of the stories I just shared with you. Um, and so Justice Gorsuch's opinion and his dissent was based on the fact that basically the Navajo Nation is simply asking the U.S. government to reassess um, its rights to water and the situation um, regarding water based on what was both implied and written into the 1868 treaty and other rulings since then. And in dissenting against the majority opinion, uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote, where do the Navajos go from here, he wrote. And let me show you some of these, some of these uh, stories. Well, he wrote, where do the Navajos go from here? 
to date, their efforts to find out what water rights the United States holds for them have produced an experience familiar to any American who has spent time at the Department of Motor Vehicles. The Navajo people have waited patiently for someone, anyone to help them, only to be told repeatedly that they have been standing in the wrong line and must try another. And that's the quote that's given in in this opinion. But I want to actually read more in depth in some of the context of that quote. And I'm going to share it with you here. You can see it on the screen. And I want to see if you can follow along. I'm going to read both the paragraph before and uh, the paragraph after that quote, because I want you to understand what he's saying here. So he's saying, even to these yardsticks, and we're not going to get into those yet, the Navajo's complaint easily measures up. Our winter's decision, the court's winter's decision, recognized that the United States holds reserved water rights for the tribes. The United States controls control over adjacent water sources, including the Colorado River, is elaborate. White, um, it can dole out water in parts of the Colorado by contract. And of course, the United States has expressly acknowledged that it holds water rights in trust for the Navajo. Um, given these features, the Navajo's complaint more than suffices to state a claim for relief. And then he writes, where the Navajos go from here, he compares it to the DMV. And he says, he goes on to say, to this day, the United States has never denied that the Navajo may have water rights in the mainstream of the Colorado River and perhaps elsewhere that it holds in trust for the tribe. Instead, the government constant refrain is that the Navajos can have all they ask for. They just need to go somewhere else and do something else first. The Navajo have tried it all. They have written federal officials. They have moved this court. They have moved this court to clarify that the U.S. responsibilities when representing them, they have sought to intervene directly in water-related litigation. And when all of those efforts were rebuffed, they brought a claim seeking to compel the United States to make good on its treaty obligations by providing an accounting of what water rights it holds on their behalf. At each turn, they have received the same answer. Try again. When this routine first began in earnest, Elvis was still making his rounds on the Ed Sullivan show. Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch is literally describing the legal experience of being Native American and living in the United States of America. Right? This is what it's like whether you're trying to set up a business on a reservation, whether you're trying to get treaty rights um, uh, capped, whether you're trying to right, even just protect the, the, the safety and the ability to move forward with your Navajo nation, this is the experience of Native American people all across this country in dealing with the federal governments and the courts, which is they continually just wipe their hands and say, that's not our problem. And yet they are the ones who said themselves that they are the trustees for us and that they are the ones who are supposed to be responsible for these issues. And yet they never want to be, right? It's always about, no, we will deal with that later. And one of the things I read, even in, in Neil, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's majority opinion, 
is basically they were afraid that, well, if we do this, if we allow the Navajo Nation to go forward with this court case, then there's going to be a ton of other nations that want the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there probably will be. Most likely there will be. Absolutely there will be. Right? If Native nations can understand that, yeah, they actually have the right to take the U.S. government to court to compel them to keep their treaty obligations, the obligations that are stated in the Constitution that are the supreme law of this land. And the court, in a sense, is saying, yeah, we don't want you coming to our courts. Go stand in a different line. So Neil Gorsuch hit it on the head. I don't know the rest of his dissenting opinion. I'm going to read it over the weekend as well, and we'll talk about it next week. But I think he, in the in that two or three paragraphs, he absolutely encapsulates the experience of being Native American and legally trying to procure rights here in this country, which is this exhausting, and you're given the runaround constantly. Why? Because the foundations of this nation were never written to protect Native peoples, right? The Constitution was written to protect the interests of white landowning men. That's why it exists. That's why Justice Kavanaugh said, yeah, we don't want you Native nations continuing coming to this court to figure this out. This isn't for you. We'd rather deal with billionaires, white billionaires who are legally embattled over different issues than dealing with the life or death issue of water and treaty obligations, which we gave to you while we were ethnically cleansing this continent. Supreme Court is probably more concerned with the cage match between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk than it is about the water rights and treaty obligations of Native it has towards Native nations. This is the experience of being Native American living in this country. And Justice Gorsuch hits it on the head. So anyway... Those are my thoughts. I don't have a complete opinion of this of this yet because I haven't read the entire thing, um, but I will attempt to read it over the next few days and hopefully sometime next week, maybe Tuesday or Thursday, I will do a follow-up second cup of coffee where I'll be able to talk more in depth about the opinion as a whole. But I wanted to give you some of my initial thoughts and comments on it as I've been researching it and trying to get familiar with what it actually says. Anyway, my relatives, I hope you find these things helpful. I hope you appreciate this discussion. And I hope as you read these things, I encourage you not just to listen to um, the most succinct article that you can find about these things. Read the articles I gave you. Read them from different perspectives. Read them from places like AP and NPR. Read them from Native News. Excuse me, Native News websites, read them from other places. And if you have time, uh, read the actual opinion written by the courts. Um, it's important that you don't let everyone tell you what to think about this, but you actually read what the courts are saying and then research and understand the historical background to gain a perspective on what, why they're saying what they're saying. So I appreciate everybody who is on this uh, this. Um, presentation or with the second of a coffee with me. I really miss these when I'm traveling. I'm trying to find a way to do these a bit more consistently when I travel, but uh, I'm, I'm uh, 
haven't yet found the way to do that most uh, fish effectively when I'm on the road, but I'm working to try and figure that out. So I can, I would love to do these consistently every Tuesday and Thursday of every week, but we're not quite there yet. So right now I'm doing them as consistently as I can when I'm home, but we're working on how to handle the schedule when I'm on the road. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone's doing well. Let me just, um, let me just, uh, uh, remind you that if you are interested in buying the book that I co-authored on Settling Truth, The Ongoing Dehumanizing Legacy of the Doctrine of Discovery, throughout the rest of the month of June, I am offering free shipping on uh, books ordered from my website. And so you can get a signed copy of On Selling Truth. And for the rest of the month, another week and a half or so, uh, you can get it with free shipping. So I encourage you to think about that either for yourself if you haven't purchased it yet or if you'd like to buy it for a friend. And now is a great time to purchase it from my website and just put in your friend or your family member's address and the book will ship to them. Uh, I'm also going to put in a link to my uh, Patreon site. Uh, where I'm working to confront racism and white supremacy and create common memory. And you can always join me for more in-depth discussions on my Patreon site. But, um, and just, I'll give one more quick update regarding my hip. Um, as you know, on May 1st, I had uh, my, my hip, my left hip replaced. It's now been about six, almost seven weeks since then. And I'm very excited to inform everyone that, yeah, my recovery is going well. I've been walking without a cane for almost three or four weeks now. Um, I still have a little bit of soreness when I, when I get up in the mornings, when I go to bed at night, just from the muscles and from uh, the movement that I'm relearning how to do better with my hip. But uh, last week, last week, uh, Friday, no, last week, Wednesday, I think, when I went to my physical therapy appointment. I actually jogged for the very first time. I haven't jogged in about four or five years um, due to my arthritis. And so I actually went jogging. And uh, not very long, but I was, on, I was on treadmill and it felt amazing. I was pretty sore afterwards. And then last weekend when I was in Cedar Rapids with my son, uh, we were outside and I said, hey, I want to try jogging down the street for a little bit. So we found a pretty flat area and and I did a little bit of jogging there too, just to see if I could do it, um, not in kind of the, on the treadmill, but out on the road. And it worked pretty well. So I'm the recovery's coming. Again, my ultimate goal, I want to play basketball. I That is my goal. I will consider my recovery complete when I'm able to not just go out and shoot a basketball, but actually play a game and, and get on the court and and run two on two or three on three, or maybe even five on five. I'd love to, to get back to playing basketball again. So several months off, I'm sure yet, but I'm moving towards there and I'm beginning the process of, of getting some of the jogging down and, and the, the movement down a bit more. Anyway, that's just the update on that. I hope this is helpful, my relatives. I hope you have a very good day. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope your second cup of coffee is as good as mine is. Walk in beauty, my relatives. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Hook on that.